Welcome. This is the Seek Coach podcast, a podcast exploring the Seek principles and how to live them in the 21st century. So welcome to another episode of the Seek Coach podcast. Today we have Navjot Soni with us. So it's um, a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Aftar. I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah, likewise. So yeah, I think um, if you can just give us a brief introduction to yourself, your journey so far, and then we can sort of dive into the Washing Machine Project, which is an absolutely exciting and amazing initiative. Yeah, sure. So my name is Navjot. Uh, actually, when I do other podcasts, predominantly with non-Punjabi speakers. I um, actually explained the definition of my name. Yes, good. Uh, new Light. But I feel like I don't need to do that in this one because uh, everyone probably knows it. Um, yeah, uh, born and brought up in uh, in, in London, uh, Southall, where I feel like a lot of the Sikh community in the world uh, are from. Uh, and... Um, yeah, very curious child. Um, when I was young, uh, I would I would be obsessed with how things work. Uh, my dad uh, was an aerospace engineer, and uh, he died when I was very young, when I was seven years old. But before that, he would um, he'd take me to air shows, wow. and I'd I'd be obsessed with that, how these things, these big objects, would fly in the sky. And that really kind of propelled my imagination. I'd, I'd, I'd come home and I'd take out the toolbox from the cupboard and I'd take apart appliances and plugs and mm. the refrigerator and, and I'd break everything. And that used to really make my mum angry, you know. <laughs> um, um, yeah, there's a kind of, it's not nav drop proof, you know. Uh, uh, but yeah, it, so yeah, studying engineering at university was a very kind of natural transition. Um, but actually, you know, growing up in Southall, being a part of the Sikh community and also doing scouts uh, really kind of helped me in terms of my understanding of humanitarianism, the importance of uh, community, starting yeah. local grassroots yeah. really helped me in that sense. So um yeah, I studied engineering and was lucky enough to land my dream job um, as a graduate engineer at Dyson, um, um, which was a fantastic experience. I was there for three years. And I kind of really quickly realized that, you know, every bit of good engineering that I'm doing is um, actually just making vacuum cleaners, you know. Um, and so I... Yeah, really fancy 500-pound vacuum cleaners. Um, and I wanted my engineering to go further for, for people who really needed it, you know, to help people. Um, so I took a sabbatical, uh, and you can imagine the conversation I had with my, with my mom about that, you know. Yeah. She was not happy at all, you know. <laughs> really, really difficult decision. But she knew I wasn't happy, you know. So I took a sabbatical and volunteered for one year with Engineers Without Borders UK, uh, essentially quitting my job. Um, I got sent out to South India for one year when I was, where I was making clean and efficient cook stoves. Um, and I can explain why that's such a big problem 
for for people in the developing world. Um, and then I was living in a very rural village uh, with limited ga gas, electricity, and water. Uh, and I became best friends with my next door neighbor, a lady called Dave. Uh, she was the only lady on the street that spoke English. And I, I didn't speak Tamil, so we became really good friends. And, you know, the plight of, of Divya and the struggles that she was going through, you know, my experiences of what women have to go through throughout my whole life really made me empathize with her. There's one particular conversation that I had where she was kind of scrubbing and cleaning each piece of cloth that she had to wash for her family. And she'd do that every single day, day in, day out. Is where I, when I promised her a manual washing machine, and I said, you know, as an engineer, I can fix this for you. I can make a really cheap manual washing machine for you. Uh, at that point, her eyes lit up, and you know, we haven't looked back since. Wow, that's an amazing journey so far. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of things there around. You know, the the decision to leave a very good corporate job for uh, a, a probably sought after organization like Dyson is almost like the Apple version of like household appliances, isn't it? Where, you know, innovation, creativity, I, I suppose. So your experience in Dyson would have given you some insight into how corporations are working and innovation. I, I guess, how was it working in, in Dyson? Cause I, I can imagine the environment would have been quite creative and empowering. Yeah. And, um, it was. I took. I took job hunting really, really seriously. I can only imagine what young graduates are going through right now um, with the pandemic and all the job losses that are going on. So yeah, really good luck for them. But yeah, I took it really seriously. I applied for so many jobs, and I and I had so many interviews, fifteen, twenty interviews, and I got two job offers. Uh, and within two weeks of graduating, I, um, I joined Dyson on the grad program. And, you know, it's amazing that one minute you're sitting in a lecture theater and then two weeks later you're on a round table with James Dyson sharing your ideas. And for a young engineer, that feeling is euphoric, you know, that... Yeah, it's really hard to, to explain. Um, uh, Dyson is an environment where, you know, they really kind of propel your creativity, you know. No idea is a bad idea. Yes. Uh, you know, they really kind of promote innovation. And, and, you know, I learned so much about user behavior and design and, and developing that, uh, being a part of a team, uh, the average age of Dyson is 26, so it's really young. Um, I had to move, move, move out of London. I studied in London as well, so although I lived away from university, I was close to home. But this time, I lived in a very uh, white middle-class village in, in in the West Country and in, in the Cotswolds in Malmesbury. So that was a really kind of interesting uh, difference. Um, so yeah, an amazing experience. But yeah, again, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing what I really wanted to do in life. So I guess, do you think that 
what you saw in Dyson really helped you with the washing machine project as well. Once you sort of saw there was that gap in sort of society where people were spending how many hours was was it was Devia? Uh, how, how many hours was Lady spending washing her clothes? Yeah, so up to up to twenty hours a week, and and actually, you know, my my experience at Dyson were second to none. You know, as 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 soon as I moved out to South India, where we were making clean cookstoves for people who use solid fuel, yes. a massive problem when you breathe in smoke causes chronic lung pain, uh, cataracts, and things like that. And so we were making cookstoves that 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 were reducing the emissions of 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 cooking. Um, what what my dieting experience taught me was that you know you know to create really smart products. But what my year in India, my my experience with practical enterprise that I was working at, taught me that you know people like Divya and and other people that have problems like this, you know, they want good quality products like anyone else in the world. They don't want poor quality products. Um, you know, a, a lady in rural rural Tamil Nadu wants her pot to just sit right on, on the stove. You know, she wants her, her roti, her chapati to be this puffy. Yes. You know, she doesn't want to burn her subject, you know. Yeah. You know, and that kind of notorious testing, you know, they would, one day on Monday we'd have an idea. By Tuesday we would have developed that idea and created a prototype. And by Wednesday it would be in the field, tested by, yeah. by, by a lady. So that kind of quick iteration, uh, iterative feedback, we called it a living lab, really helped with the design process. And I thought that was really interesting. And and that whole experience uh, taught me that the bottom of the pyramid, people who who really need it, uh, are crying out for innovation. We are so lucky sitting here having this conversation in, in the UK where we have literally everything that we've ever imagined uh, whereas people like Divya um, you know have to wait for clean water are sitting in dark because of blackouts uh, you know no refrigeration so they have to, there and then you know it's not fair and we shouldn't live like this yeah, I had um, I had another guest on who's a, a wildlife photographer based in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, last week, and he was discussing the same thing because he lived in the UK but moved back to Nairobi, and he says growing up in Nairobi it gave him the skill set of having to fix things instead of just getting them replaced the next day, and we're yeah. in a culture in the UK or Western countries where you know we buy something we break something in the morning we deliver by Amazon in the evening, you know it's just why would we want to do that sort of thing? And what he said was a skill set that he had to, he figured out was to fix things or make the most of what the limited resource was. And, and like you said, that at that bottom of the, of the pyramid, a lot of these people are doing quick fixes and, you know, they're, 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 they're ways of getting by without the, these, these innovations and these good quality products, which could be created. So yeah, you understand there's that big gap in that market because, just the resources and the, the ideas are not generated. Um, Is that saying, right? It's called Jugar. Jugar, yeah, that's what exactly what we were saying. 
J-A-J-A-D. The definition is problem solving with limited resources. I live my life like that. It's we can get by on so, so little, you know. And I guess your your experience in South India then was probably very critical then to to learn about how to create these innovations, but create them. I guess you still got to make it cost effective, and they got to work well, and you got to make sure it de- delivers a purpose. So, how long were you in South India for then? Yeah, it was. Uh, it's really important kind of catering for the metric for the metrics that your that your audience holds dear to them. So really understanding your consumer. Uh, I was there for one year um, uh, and the result of me being there for a year was, you know, we created thousands of cook stoves at a production cost of fifteen pounds. which was just at the affordability level of people in that area. Yes. Um, and we managed to distribute thousands of cooks of saving um, uh, money, uh, wood, and time uh, for the disproportionately affected people, which was women. Yeah, and all the health the health benefits, I guess, of not having that smoke and all those issues that could come up that weren't there with. Yeah, I'm almost, it's sad to say that for for people that we spoke to, health was like a secondary aspect. Yeah. For them. Um, which is uh, an educational piece. It wasn't just about the engineering, it was about demonstrating why an innovation like this is needed and is important. Because what right do I have or we have changing the habits of someone that's been cooking like this for the, for the last hundred years. Mm. Why should I, why should I do that? Yeah. So it's about teaching and changing that habit. Yeah, definitely. So is that, is that cook stove initiative still running then? Is that just, yeah, occurring? So you, you would have helped your, the work that you and the team would have done is made a, making a difference still to today. So it wouldn't just be thousands, it's just continuing in the background. Yeah, so um, practice is still going. Uh, they distribute now in in, in, um, in Africa. Um, um, and they're, they're now set up in Thailand as well. Wow. Um, they have a, a UK distribution system as well, which which means that you can you can buy cook stuff in, in the UK wow. uh, as well. So it's nice to contribute to an organization. That kind of model yeah. is what we use to set up the washing machine project. Yeah, that's good. So you can almost start, you can start linking the journey back now, you know, how it's all fitting into uh, the washing machine project. And so I think it's probably good to start talking about. So once you recognize the issue around the washing, um, what were your kind of initial steps and thoughts and, um, how did the the washing machine project inception almost? How did that? What, what did that journey look like? Yeah, so in in, in twenty eighteen, I, I came back to the UK. Um, I I knew that the problem was too big for me to solve on my own. Okay. And there's very like preliminary research on on how big the problem is. Okay. So right now, seventy percent of the world's population do not have access to an electric washing machine like you and I. Wow. Um, 
That's that's Jesus, over five billion people who who kind of wash in rivers and streams and lakes and buckets on the floor mm. wherever they can. As the washing machine project, we've also travelled to six countries, interviewing five hundred families. So, taking a very data-driven approach, and we know that the burden is disproportionately placed on women, with women spending up to twenty hours a week. Mm. And we know it causes back pain and joint pain and skin irritation. And we know that you use more than forty liters of water per cycle. Um, and to put that in perspective, that's half the allotted amount of of water that a refugee um, family uses in camp uh, per day. Uh, and uh, your washing machine at home is very, very. Uh, consumptive in water uses about 50-60 litres mm. so it's a lot of water in places where water is such a precious and scarce resource yeah. and this scarcity will only increase as COVID-19 spreads and we know that women are disproportionately being affected because of COVID-19 as well they're having to travel more often for water they're having to clean more often for water um, their clothes so collecting water and they're collecting water in in places where there's, it's crowded, so more susceptible to the virus of COVID-19. Uh, so yeah, lots and lots of research. Um, I also formed a very small team of, of, of like-minded young professionals that you know want to make the world a better place. Yeah. So engineers, marketing professionals, um, communication experts, people that are interested in development. I'm an engineer, I have no understanding of humanitarianism, so I needed to learn mm -hmm. a lot, you know. Um, so I, and, uh, and, I, and so I did that, and uh, I just spoke to as many people as I could, you know, um, uh, about the idea, and, uh, you know, created a prototype, uh, and I understood that there's a gap and the gap is that there is no enterprise in the world today that is developing a manual washing machine that is specifically designed for the humanitarian development sector. Okay. And there are manual washing machines out there. Okay. But but uh, they are expensive and they are catered for people who go camping in countries like the UK or the US or people who own camper vans or small homes and things like that. It's a completely different market. So that's, so a couple of things there I noticed was that you identified the problem as huge. So you realized that it, it, even though you saw the gap, but the actual, the size of the problem is, is huge. So you, you almost realizing that in the start makes it better for you then to know what you got to do, who you got to reach out to, you need a team. Um, so that's really, really good. So, and, and I guess you're not just solving, you're not just solving the washing issue, you know, you're solving health predominantly for the ladies, you know, the impact of doing this, the, the, you know, the potential of them getting the pan, uh, COVID in a pandemic, the higher risk, but also I guess what you're doing is the week so they can do something better with their time. Maybe they can develop, educationally or you know do other things which are more value-added or empower them 
to have that time rather than being spending a big proportion of their week getting water, washing their clothes and doing the whole process. So actually the idea is much, 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 much more bigger, like socially as well, isn't it? Yeah, can you imagine if you gave like 10 or 15 hours back to Divya, what she could do with that time? Exactly. So it's, it's beyond just the, the basic needs of washing clothes. And actually then you've got the environmental impact as well. Actually, you can probably reverse, reverse the tell people in Western countries to use this rather than the electric washing machine. Because <laughs> they'll, yeah, yeah. they'll get more exercise and use less water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, at the washing machine project, we're making manual washing machines that save time, water and effort mm. uh, for people who hand wash clothes. So, you know, we save three quarters of the time, half the water, and reduce back pain and joint pain. So, you know, this innovation can be used all over the world. Yeah. All right. So, so then, I take it you 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 already touched on not having much experience in the humanitarian um, area. So you 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 you're doing a master's at the moment. You started a master's shortly after when you returned um, from the initial research on the washing, washing machine project. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and uh, I, uh, you know, I, I really identified that if I was going to make a real dent on this problem, that I need as much knowledge about the industry that I'm trying to get into as possible. Like, I understand engineering, but I don't understand it, like humanitarianism. So, you know, um, I enrolled into the humanitarianism course at Bath University, where I'm, where I am now, and I finish in a month's time. Okay. And that really kind of taught me the ins and outs, why I need to understand. It really connected me to, to people in the field, agencies, practitioners, and, you know, things like that. Uh, and it was actually a conversation I had with uh, a friend of mine called Tom Parkin, who at the time was the head of security for Care International Iraq. Okay. That actually kick-started our field research. You know, he said, there's a need in Iraq. Why don't you bring one of your prototypes to one of the camps that we have in Iraq? And the week later, we booked our tickets. And the month after that, we, we happened to be in Iraq interviewing 49 Yazidi families yes. about uh, on, on the washing machine that we produced. Um, How was that? that received? Yeah phenomenally well you know surprisingly well you know people were people wanted something like this you know we we found that 83 percent of people that we interviewed said that this would have a real real life impact on them you know save save time we we also found out that the average size of a family in iraq is nine in a camp and half of that family is under the age of five wow it's a lot of cleaning, so we needed a big washing machine, mm. big drum. Yeah, uh, we knew that water was scarce in, in places like Iraq, so so it needed to be, uh, you know, water efficient. So those kinds of values, the, the valuable information, fed us into our second design that we call the Divya. And when we were out in Iraq in February 2019, we were lucky enough to meet up with Oxfam. Uh, and the directors in Iraq and and they were interested in this and they seed funded us 
for 50 washing machines that we distributed in Iraq in February of this year. So that's how it's led to that collaboration. Um, and, you know, since then, we featured in some of the largest news outlets in the world, you know, and Oxfam Jordan are now wanting to distribute in Jordan and the UN in Jordan. And, you know, we've had orders in Nigeria, in Uganda. And, and, and so I would credit that one conversation mm. with Tom Parkin yeah. as that kind of snowball effect. Yeah, that's amazing. I think it's really important where you've taken the initiative to, to connect to all these people and, and to do the studying and the MBA to learn more about humanitarian efforts and then, and actually going to Iraq, you know, that's a big thing. How That decision to go to a country where, you know, there has been issues in the past, was that quite a difficult conversation with family or were they pretty okay once they knew the washing machine project and what it was about and the benefits it's really giving the people out there in those refugee camps as well? Yeah, and, and it's... it's uh, so... Travelling to Iraq has is, is always been a very interesting experience, you know. And most recently when, in February, when, when there was the tension between um, the US and Iran, mm. and they were using Iraq as the battleground. Yes. I mean, a plane got shot out of the sky, you know, yeah. at that point. So it was really tense. But you know what? Travelling to places like Iraq is really a humbling experience because you have all of these preconceived ideas or oh, it's going to be dangerous it's going to be really unsafe it's going to be have to be really cautious but actually iraqis and are just like everyone else in the world you know they want to live and continue with their lives and survive and they want to go to the coffee shop and yeah just have a have a nice drink with their friends they want to go for dinner so what I found was the normality of life is so, so normal. Mm. It's, the life is so normal that it just continues. And, and that was a really beautiful experience. And, and also not, not ignoring the, the real troubles that Iraqis are facing. You know? But there is that sense of just getting on with it. Yeah. And I think that the, they were then welcome, um, for example, you know, the washing machine project and the efforts they're doing to help them because you know, you're reaching out to a real need and a basic necessity that they, we take for granted. So I think if you're coming there with that purpose as well, you know, they, they, they probably, I don't know, what was the feel out there? Were they, did you feel they were supported or was it a lot of just international organizations doing a lot of the work? And I know, you know Oxfam was already there. How, how is the community though? Does everybody work together and they're quite open to working together or is it kind of like limited? Yeah, um, I think um, also that this pandemic has really kind of spurred the idea of localization. Um, so not having those big organizations like Oxfam and Care International in country, but having local organizations that give aid on the ground. Um, um, so, um, I didn't know this before, but at the time, Yazidis were separate to Kurdish refugees and IDPs, international 
intelligence based people. So Kurdish were separate to Yazidi, Yazidis were separate to Arabs. So it's very segmented. Mm. There's a lot of mistrust. Yes. Since uh, Daesh and the the, uh, the liberation of Daesh in Mosul and federal Iraq. Yeah. So I, it will take um, a generation of reconciliation efforts to, to work together again, I think. Yeah, I guess that's an additional challenge. I guess grassroots organisations would already understand that and then work within the dynamics of that. So it may be easier for them to get into those communities in the different ways and, and, and support them. So I guess the local local organizations have to i mean international organizations probably have to work really hand in hand with local organizations to get the most out of the, the aid and the, and the support that they're trying to deliver yeah because they know the context right they and it's it's local organizations that know the context more than than anyone else you know? so they're going to give you the need the really targeted need and i think quite often you know here in the uk we feel like we're so misaligned with what we think mm. people need. Yes. Yeah. Versus what, what the actual need is on the ground. Yeah, well, I, I didn't personally. You know. yeah. Yeah. Um, so with the Oxfam collaboration then, is that something that's going to be ongoing or is it kind of just a few initiatives or whilst you work on? Yeah, so Oxfam Jordan is continuing now. Our work in Oxfam Iraq is on, ongoing. We've actually found a few interesting aspects um, to our distribution. Um, uh, during the pandemic, uh, uh, use of our washing machines has increased, so people are using them more often. Uh, we found that, that, that people don't really don't like our handles uh, because they're too big. Um, but those kinds of things really help us for our next design, you know. When when we track this eventually for mass mass market, we know how to approach it. So do you think um, so? Organisations like Oxfam, who are already in the international relief area, um, supporting numbers of refugees and countries that, that need uh, people that need their services. Do you think there's um? I mean, Oxfam seems to be quite proactive in the sense that they've seed funded you and sort of seen the initiative and seen the the scope of it do you think a lot of other organizations start need to thinking of that to use you know innovations like the washing machine project and sort of promote this creativity in social engineering um, the existing programs that agencies have are so dry you know how many times can you give someone a soap bar yeah. you know yeah. Before it gets stale. So, you know, there is push for innovation in 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 in, in humanitarian sector. You know, uh, and I'm actually looking at this for my dissertation, looking at how wash, water, sanitation, hygiene, uh, and gender uh, is affecting innovation. Um, uh, uh, it's needed, you know, and not just in the humanitarian sector, but in the development sector as well. So people like Nivea, you know, they, they need innovation, you know. They need their lives to be helped in one way, shape or form. And I, I think quite often with humanitarian aid, um, 
you uh, you really think short term. This person is displaced, so this person needs shelter or water or food. Yeah. But the average age of a refugee camp in the world today is 19 years. Mm. So it's not just shelter, food and water that they need anymore. Yeah. These camps are becoming mini cities. Yep. Exactly, yeah. You can imagine that if you gave them an infrastructure for an education, you know, give them smart devices, um, you can, it's, it's, a, it's the same old philosophy. You know, you feed somebody for one day, that's just one day. But if you teach them to feed themselves and earn something or, or develop a skill or something, that's a real change, isn't it? Because you're empowering them. Feed them for a lifetime, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, there's generations that are being born in, in refugee camps. Like, mm. in the camps that we visited in Lebanon and Jordan and Iraq, you know, there's five, six, seven-year-olds that have been born and brought up in these camps yeah. that know no different. And it's just unlucky that their family was caught up in this violence. It could have been anyone. It could have been me. It could have been you. Yeah. They were middle-class people that had money they had big gardens, had the resource, and then overnight, they've lost everything. And this is the thing, is they almost get caught up into the political turmoil as well, don't they? Around the local government, the international aid, and the restrictive way the aid is delivered, or if the powers, well, people are not seeing eye to eye as well. You know, local governments are just taking the money but not doing nothing with it, or just doing generic initiatives. I think there's a lot of that at the moment because there's there's organizations that try to try to figure out how effective these programs are yeah. um, so and, and i think getting the data is sometimes difficult yeah we have problems with that right now you know trying to get data out of a camp that's in lockdown you know yeah. <laughs> how can you do that you know? yeah. unless unless everybody's connected or at least have you know, the basic necessity of an internet connection, I guess that's seen as a basic now, and a smart device, then it might become a bit more, much more easier if you're not dependent on somebody else doing it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but the majority of the world have mobile phones now and are connected to some sort of internet connection, you know. So, of course, they're going to need that, you know. Yeah. We complain if the Wi-Fi goes on for half an hour. Yeah. So, don't they... Exactly, yeah, and they, they, a lot of them would be disconnected. From, it is a basic need now because I mean, even when I went to, when I go to India now, you know, um, I don't know if you notice as well, but literally everybody has it. You know, everybody has a smartphone. That's, yeah. that's it's, um, yeah, it's a really interesting change. I think you can only look to our parents that were, were born in a, in a time where no mobile phones, no TVs. And, those kinds of how much of the world has changed and you know in, in our children's lifetime how much more will it change you know? yeah definitely so what, what what is the what is the next steps for the the washing machine project then like which which version are you on now what is the next release and what's the sort of what sort of journey plan do you have a vision for it so by 2021 we want a final version it's good it's, we actually n named our prototype the Divya oh, wow. uh, after the lady that inspired the project. Yes. And uh, by by quarter three, 2021, we want the final version. Um, 
by November of this year, we'll have the visuals of those and prototypes of those. Um, and we'll be doing what we do best, going into the field. So we're going to Greece next in October, November uh, to do some testing in Chios, on the island of Chios, where there's a lot of refugee camps. Um, um, and then Jordan in, in November, December. Uh, but you know, these things are really expensive. You know, this is a volunteer-led project. Uh, How are yeah. you funded? Is that all voluntarily, volunteer funding them? Yeah, volunteer funding. We have a just giving. We ask, we ask for donations. Um, um, we are applying left, right, and center for uh, grants and trusts and, and things like that. And, but I think, you know, I, I saw a statistic: save the children. In the best case scenario, is estimating a forty percent drop in funds. Best case, so it's really right now it's, it's going to be really tough to get any any sort of money from grants and things like that but we're we're, we're, we're trying a lot you know we need roughly around three hundred sixty thousand pounds and we fundraise around fifty thousand pounds in the last year or so um, so a lot more to do uh, until then we keep we keep uh, volunteering our time our effort um, to, to, to continue our, our efforts to, to try and get these washing machines as, in as many hands as, as possible. So the, that 360 then, is that an annual figure or is it something over a couple of years that you're looking to sort of reach? Yeah, it's over a couple of years. That's the, that's the money we need to, to, to basically take this to, to the masses. Yeah, I think the charity sector as a whole is suffering. Um, you've already heard of the big drops in income and the challenging environment. So yeah, I can imagine it's quite difficult. But I guess the purpose, what you're trying to fulfill, it's, it, it, it resonates with a lot of people. And it's it's the it's a basic need, isn't it, that you're trying to fulfill for people who are just in, in these unfortunate situations. So hopefully people are generous in the UK and wider. There was... Yeah. And, you know, we're releasing an Indiegogo campaign, a crowdfunding campaign in November, December, which is um, the opportunity for someone in the UK or the US or somewhere like that to buy one of these washing machines and donate one. Okay. So a kind of Tom's shoe model. Yes. I think, are there any like um, philanthropists or have you had any interest from any sort of social venture creating VCs or something? That's something yeah, 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 yeah. We've, we've, we've showcased our innovation to a lot of kind of invest challenges and days like that. We've spoken to roughly six investors so far. Okay. Um, I, I'm in the mind that we can crowdfund this. Yeah. Um, uh, when, when we're ready. Yes. Um, and we are, you know, we are we have captured the imagination of a lot of people. Our online presence is growing. It's 
grown 59% just in the last month. Mm. We've been on some of the largest news outlets in the world. You know, The Guardian just featured us last month. Amazing. So, you know, it's just, it's just a time thing yeah. for us. It's amazing. I think I've been keeping track of your sort of development in that area and it's been impressive. I mean, the BBC, the newspapers, and I think various engineering podcasts and panel platforms. So I think the momentum is definitely growing. And I think that's, that's a real positive sign that people are that. I, th- I think it's just the concept, you know, you you saw something when you were out doing your, you know, your your efforts in India, you know, and you captured something that other people haven't probably seen as a profit, profitable area to do as a company and stuff. So you've taken it as a social venture. You saw the opportunity. You promised you would make this for, you know, that individual. You've done that. But now it's like, how many more devs can you help? You know, and you've, you can, you size up the problem is huge, you know. But the impact, the impact that you're working towards is something that, you know, really inspires a lot of people. I think that's why the message is really strong and resonates. And I think, I think you, you'll only go from strength to strength. And um, yeah. thanks so much of the, and and you know what what we're trying to do is not only just try to make this for ourselves, but you know inspire a generation to to make other things that that people need. You know, exactly. Yeah, this is why I was keen to get you onto the podcast because part of this platform is to inspire the digital generation to think wider and 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 maybe you know everybody thinks of ideas, but a lot of people will be like, nah, this is not going to work, or you know. I haven't got the expertise to do it, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you're a living example of that where, you know, you, you've shown your journey, you've shown what you saw, you had an idea and you've taken it and you've made it a reality, not only making it a reality. Now you're looking to help as many people as you can across the world. Um, and, you know, that's just the start of it. But how would you, what would you advise others who are thinking of doing some sort of social innovation or any innovation really? How can they see it through and and make it make it a reality or at least have an attempt to do that because i always think until you try you never know yeah and there's so many tapped untapped ideas within all of us that we can have, we could we can impact the world in many different ways yeah i think one of the most the biggest uh barriers to these kinds of things is the fear of failure i think people are so scared of failing or seeing what people think or you know that it almost is not worth even trying because of that yeah. and I think it's just getting over that initial fear like what's the worst that could happen like it's not going to work yeah. so what you know you tried exactly um, and you know and also you know time is very limited you know you only have like 40 or 50 good years on this planet and I don't know maybe it's you know having a parent that died when I was really young has really instilled into me that you know you're only promised today mm. you know um, and like you will be measured for the impact that you have on this planet with the time that you have and that's it um that that being said, you know, also, you know, people think that you need to have an engineering degree to, to solve some of these problems. You don't. You know, I, I've come across so many non-engineers. Mm. 
and they have such great ideas. You know, I, I, I identified so soon after seeing that problem that I can do this alone. So it's getting over that, you know, I need to solve this on my own. Yes. And asking for help. Yeah. And yeah. asking for advice. Yeah. I think a lot of times um, when we do have ideas, we get very protective over them, thinking someone's going to steal it, someone's going to copy it. But I always think, isn't it better somebody copies it and does it if you don't do it? <laughs> like, the only thing that's going to work is... It's going to, if anything, sharing an idea is only going to get more advice. Is you're going to check, you're going to, you're going to get it challenged, you're going to get it tested, you're going to get it validated. But the only way you can do that is with having those conversations. And someone would say, actually, so and so is be perfect to advise you on that, or have you checked out this? It allows you to sort of create that team, and it's almost a network that helps you want to to, to get you to actually do this. Yeah, and and. It's, yeah, uh, taking the washing machine project as an example, if someone copies us and does it, good. Yeah, that's what I mean. Because yeah. <laughs> more people in the world won't have to bend on their hands and knees, you know, and yeah. wash clothes. So it's the bigger, why not? It's your, you, you see the bigger picture, don't you? You see you only see that it will create benefit if somebody does it better or does it bigger. But at least you've inspired something or triggered somebody else to think, and that's the, whole, that's the whole point of it. I mean, we stand on the shoulders of giants, as they say. We're only taking, we're only taking the work and knowledge that other generations before us has brought up to this point to then take it forward. Yeah, so yeah. Nothing is ever your idea. It's something you've built on, evolved on, and you inspire others to do the same. 100 is that, yeah. And, and, you know, it's also trying to get out of the mindset that... Um, Innovation is only needed for the West or for the UK or the US or Europe. You know, the app that you're developing <laughs> could be used by a refugee family in a camp that is trying to access legal support for their visa application. Mm. As a really practical example of how a refugee needs their help. Yes. You know? Yeah. But here you are making an app for another game for a 15 year old mm. in the UK, you know? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Is that investment of effort? I think, uh, and I don't know about that. I think the, it's, it's just the capitalist nature of society, isn't it? The dream is to make more money, more wealth, more success is defined for us almost in certain ways. And it's, it's, it's kind of brainwashes brainwashed us you know in, in a number of ways through music or people who have the money this promotional material wealth yeah, whereas, yeah whereas you've almost you flipped it on on its head haven't you because you you had the dyson thing you know if you carried on you would we had a good successful career keeping building the money but you you went for the social venture you went for yeah. the social impact and and and, and there's this mindset in, in, in places like the UK, Europe, and the US, that people who live in the developing world, developing countries in refugee camps, are, inverted commas, too poor mm. to spend money, you know? Mm. And I'll give you this really practical example that I got from a book called Factfulness by Hans Rosling. It's a, that book really changed my life and I'd really thoroughly recommend it. Um, and it was 
basically, you know, um, if you're a pregnant woman that's just had a baby, that's roughly about a year's loss of menstruation. So that's a year that you won't be using menstruating pads or tampons or things like that. Mm. Uh, what that means is that if you own a, a menstrual pad company, this is really bad for business. Mm. Yeah, so that's one person that's not using your product for a year, not buying a product. Now, you if you're a pad company, you'll be pleased to know that over the last 10 to 20 years, Babies per women is going down. You know, women are working more, educating themselves more. Uh, they're having safer sex, meaning that they don't have babies as often. Means that they're menstruating more. So they are looking for pad, pads, and it's likely that if they find a menstrual pad, that they like they would probably use it for the rest of their life mm. and they'd probably get their daughters to use it as well mm. yeah but pad companies in europe and the us continuously spend their marketing budgets on pads to do yoga and pads to go rock climbing and thin pads that are not visible mm. pads to go swimming in you know Whereas there is this growing market in the developing world where they are crying out for innovation like this and no one is listening to them. Mm. So it's that mindset change yeah. that I think we need to get over. Definitely. Yeah, and I think that's... So there's almost like an innovation and mindset change that needs to happen as well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, to change the way we do things, why we do things. Why, yeah, like, why are we continuously, you know, making stuff for the two percent that have everything in the world? I don't get it. Exactly. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Yep. Chasing that. Chasing the. Just milking that. That rich layer of people who are able to just spend or buy. Look at that market marketing campaign rather than, yep. rather than yeah, distribute your model to help those that actually need it. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. All right, so what would you give advice to uh, the younger generation who want to get into engineering? Because I think engineering is a bit missold, I think, because it's, it's a one term, but actually there's so many different facets of engineering in the first Yeah, term. yeah, yeah. There's so many different versions of it, and it yeah. can lead on to so many different careers. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. And, and you know, when people think of engineer, they think of a white male that's wearing a hard hat or probably going to come over to fix your boiler, you know? Yes. They're not thinking about the, uh, the, the app developer that's going to make uh, an app for a refugee family, you know? Yeah. Or, 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 you know, the... the the lady working in robotics, that's going to help people who have uh, lost a leg. Mm. Yeah. 
or someone that's making a manual washing machine for someone like Divya, you know? So it's, it's, it's really understanding the breadth of engineering. You can do literally anything in, in the world, you know? Mm. And if you have an interest in, in science or maths or things like that or problem solving, then you're an engineer. I, I feel like you don't need to have that degree. I think everyone's an engineer. Yeah. In some shape or form. Yeah. I always think um, I was similar to you when, you know, when I was young, taking things apart, putting them back together. I, I, I picked up like this old, old, old computer. Uh, it was a Spectrum ZX. I don't know if you heard about it. Yeah. You saw you have a cassette player. I think I was about six, seven at the time, and it came with a book with the with with pages of programming in it. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was I was programming and picking up the syntax errors and stuff at that age. And I think that's a form of engineering. You know, when you're deconstructing something, you're using logic and you're you're making something from something. You know, whether that's calculations or a physical building or a, a new tool or anything, it's all engineering, isn't it? Yeah. And- and it's it's just problem solving. It's just looking at a problem and solving it and, and trying to fix it with the, as limited resources as possible. Um, and you know, my advice to to the younger generation who not only are trying to to get into to engineering, but you know, trying to search for something that they that they want to do is, you know, a, a lot of the time. I don't know about you, Aftar, but I, I don't. My career has changed so much since when I was wanted to be when I was a kid. You know, I actually wanted to be an accountant when I was a kid. <laughs> You're not missing out on much. <laughs> you know, I was like, I want to be an accountant and I want to be a, I want to go to space. Yeah. You know, and space is looking really likely over the next fifty years. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, be in the newness, you know, and. Like discover your real passions because the passions are what are going to to get you through the four a.m., the five a.m., the, the late nights, the yeah. the weekend working and things like that. It's the I always say like if you if you if you enjoy what you're doing, then you know that's the the, the journey is much much more easier because you it's know so easy. It's so easy. It's, not- it's so yeah yeah. Saying that, you know, um, people look at all the successes of the washing machine project and think that it came easy. Mm. But there's so many failures, right? Mm. When we see the social media posts, we only see the good stuff. It's the iceberg model again, you know, like we were talking earlier. Yeah. No one sees the difficult, the the trials and tribulations, the traveling, the meeting families, you would have developed thousands of the versions and they would have broken, you know, you wouldn't have documented that, but you would have experienced that. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, people would just see that nice, shiny, oh, amazing, is is this thing and it works and it's... Amazing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, so I think it's being in the newness, not being scared of failure and, you know, just pursuing your passions and your family, if you're scared about your family, they'll come around eventually when they see the fruits of your labor. And, uh, I'll give you an example. My mum is one of my biggest supporters. I caught her the other day showing one of the articles that we've been featured in to the mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I think that's it. It's um, it, it takes a bit of courage and bravery, doesn't it, to follow your passion and make those difficult decisions. But if you know 
you're quite clear and then and then there's something within us that pushes us yeah you feel like you just feel like something isn't right and i think i don't think we designed to do that nine to five corporate you know there's more to life to do that and you your capabilities are limitless i think but if you discover what your passion is you can start guiding your path and networking and people would start connecting to you and it would definitely take you to places where you wouldn't have imagined i think do you think yeah yeah i was uh, and it's all about sustainability right so if you have a a job now and you've got bills to pay then obviously you can't there's responsibilities that you have right so but if you have the capacity to do more then do more because the world needs people like you you know and we look we look for people every day on the washing machine project to help in any way shape or form and this is it there's always more that you can do um like you know we can spend hours hours watching netflix which is nothing wrong with it if that's what you want to do but there's an alternative we, we have this thing in accountancy called opportunity cost so what's the cost yeah. of watching six hours of netflix versus six hours of working on developing a new skill or, or an interest that you like you know it's it's the opportunity of what exactly. you're missing out on and that that side hustle as they say could develop into something bigger and 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 i think the other thing i realized was it doesn't have to be a a one or the other like it could be a perfect blend so you could do a corporate role but on you know make that part time once things are grown or do that on the weekend and still be happy with what you're doing there's no one way of doing it it's multiple depending on your circumstances and your needs and your wants and your desires so and i think especially now with the pandemic imagine we're all working from home so that's given us a bit of freedom we can work for any country any company we want worldwide as long as we're able to do the role remotely yeah so actually yeah. that means we can start really redefining what work and success for us means in a, in the new world There's exactly another, another opportunity exactly. yeah it's it's what works for you as a person yeah. That's it. So, you know, the Elon Musk model works for Elon. Not not everybody has to do it. You know, uh, all the Amazon Bezos, you know, it's the ones that we look towards and think, wow, that's amazing. But your version doesn't have to be, doesn't have to mimic. Your version can be unique to how you want it to be. Exactly. Uh, What advice would you give people who want to pursue or take forward an idea? And is there any things that you've come across to learn about how venture capitalists work, how seed funding, crowdfunding, and all these sort of stuff that people, you know, can sound quite complicated to people, but was anything that, what worked for you to understand this world? And I know you're still on that journey, but. Yeah, 100%, yeah, I haven't understood everything, to be honest. But also, um, I've been lucky enough because it seems like the Washing Machine Project is is a project that people want to get behind. And so, you know, I, I find someone that I feel like has the knowledge and I, I say, hey, can I <clears throat> can I have a quick call with you for 15, 20 minutes and just pick your brains? And that normally seems to work. And, you know, several of those 20, 20 30 minute phone calls has got me to this place. And you don't, you don't know where the next conversation will lead you, mm-hmm. you know? That's it. It's like you mentioned the other conversation you had uh, with a gentleman that led to you know, all yeah. these other initiatives. And, um... Exactly. And so there's, yeah, there's an element where that, that that gets a bit too much. And for me personally, it's, you know, it's like the fear of missing out. So we're always like pursuing everything. Yes. And that kind of builds a lot of fatigue and burnout. 
so you know so it's also about remaining focused and to your mission and saying that you know like being adaptable to the climate that we're in you know um so yeah my my advice to people who are pursuing ideas to learn so the worst thing that you can do is have an idea and really just not understand the problem because mm. the last thing that we'd want to do is develop something that no one uses yes so you need to understand you you need to understand the gaps not only in the product but in your own i think that's the thing is a key thing sometimes we we think we know what people want but actually the key thing in uh, solution is giving the users what they want and then designing it in a way that it's effective for them or the best they'll get the best use out of it and sometimes you have to get out your own way of your own ideas because yeah, it, yeah. it may not be it may not be a function like you said if you've designed a handle in a certain way, but once people start to using it, they say, right, this doesn't work for us because we're using it day in, day out, day in, day out. That's the feedback you need to then accommodate and adapt the design to become better and better and better. Yeah, I think we have a lot of ego yeah. that we just need to get rid of in the design process. Yeah, I think we kind of we kind of treat ideas like babies and we're like, it's my baby and <laughs> I'm the only one that can look after it and change it and stuff. That, yeah, that was really difficult to get over uh, in the first year of the washing machine project. Because yeah. I felt like I was controlling too much. And there's so many good engineers on the team that were coming up with these amazing ideas. Um, so I had to get over that very quickly. I think the, um, the CEO of Instagram, he mentioned something that he goes, look, we created a concept and it was successful. He goes, but then when I got people on board who are really passionate about it, we let them take it forward because they had much better ideas. They were, you know, they were owning it and they were experts in the field and they were creating these things. And he said, there was almost a bit of empowerment that you almost got to give that freedom to people with that passion because they'll, they'll just run with it and they'll take feedback and iterations would happen. And and that's where the creativity really thrives. Yeah. In empowerment is true, especially young graduates and, and people like that who are waiting to prove themselves. They've learned all of this yeah. theoretical knowledge, but they want to put it into practice. And exactly. the Washing Machine Project is a really good place for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So how you, how you, how have you got on with volunteers? And if people want to volunteer, how can they sort of get in touch? Yeah. Um, so um, we have 21 volunteers on the project right now, working from fundraising to engineering to communications, to marketing, to business development, finance, and things like that. Um, we're always growing a lot, so we need more people. Um, really safe space. We run like a family. You know, um, you know we get you, continuous development. Uh, we have weekly quizzes, mm-hmm. informal catch-ups. You get a T-shirt, books. Um funded from my own pocket because I really feel that it's important to to do those kinds of things. Um, um, and people can get involved by messaging one of the social media accounts uh, or recruitment at thewashingmachineproject.org uh, and, and, you know, um, we have kind of a volunteer agreement and you know, the kind of practical side of things. And, you know, our volunteers have gone on to do 
some really interesting things. Like Jeremy's moved to South Sudan now with Save the Children. Wow. Working in international development. Madeline has moved to Greece to work with refugees and you know, so yeah. Pretty good. Uh, Rose Rose um uh, is an engineer who interned with us last summer. She's just completed her third year dissertation, which was about the washing machine project. Okay. We've had six University of Bath students that have joined us that are doing their dissertations about the washing machine project. You know, in January, we have Cambridge University, six students joining us. So, you know. That's really cool. We continue to grow. Yeah, that's really good. Brilliant. So um, we'll share, I'll, say, I'll share all, all of the links to your social media pages and stuff so people can check you out. So if people want to donate, how can they sort of support the initiative? What's the easiest way? <laughs> Uh, if you just type in the washing machine project and just giving on Google, you'll um, it'll come up quickly. I'm, I'm sure you can link it as well. Yeah, um, I definitely do that. Uh, yeah, that's we rely heavily on one-off donations. I don't know how it happened, but we had a five hundred pound anonymous donation last week. Hmm. Um, you know, even a couple of quid makes a difference. So. Yeah. Every bit counts, and I guess it's um, if everybody does their bit, then it makes a bit, it makes a larger difference. Um, but yeah, definitely. So yeah, I encourage all my listeners to support the washing machine project. It's such a great initiative, and there's just so many people out there that need that help to alleviate something that we take for granted, such as washing you know, washing clothes. But we don't think twice about it. But there are many people worldwide that do not get the basic necessities as a washing machine. What you've created is, is an amazing uh, showcase of an uh, initiative to a true problem. And, you know, um, it just shows you what, what, what one person's idea can lead on to. And I think that's what is key to sort of to, to share with everybody else and inspire them to think if they've got an idea or an initiative that they thought of or they want to be working in this space. You know, there's organizations like the Washing Machine Pro- Project that you can volunteer your time and be part of. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, and no doubt, um, I look for look. I look to have you on the show um, you know, in future. Once you reach another milestone, or want to return and give us an update on how things are going with the washing machine project, but you know, I will always help and support and share the word around the initiative. Was there any final words that you want to say? Ev? Oh, thank you so much, Avdar, for inviting us on, and appreciate the love and support. You know. Um, um yeah i just want to say thank you brilliant excellent all right i'll leave you to enjoy the rest of the sun but um we'll be we'll be in touch soon all right bye-bye thank you for listening to the seek coach podcast if you found this episode valuable do share with your friends and family and do give us feedback you can email us at theseekcoach at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Just search The Seek Coach Podcast and follow us on Instagram at The Seek Coach. Thank you for listening. Stay blessed.